0: Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings.
1: International News Review. Welcome back to our international news review. Steve Oaken joins us in the studio. Good morning, Steve. Great to have you with us. A day in the life. I mean, I don't know that you can really
0: argue against a day in the life. It's the greatest Beatles song of all
2: time. Good choice, Steve. Good choice, Steve. We're putting it out there this morning. Our theme for the day is greatest Beatles song and greatest James Bond movie. As both franchises were launched, same day, 60 years ago, October 1962. Sadly, okay. Steve failed miserably on the James Bond question. <laughs> yes. But he's come back, on, he's come back strong yeah, on the Beatles. Very question. strong on the one day in the life. (laughs) You gave us
1: Moonraker, Steve. Moonraker. You know, some of those those Bond movies, especially the later Roger Moore movies, were
2: just were so bad. Well, Moonraker was a response to Star Wars, so oh, they've got laser guns yeah, and the yeah, beams yeah. coming out, yeah. and and Roger Moore's flares, flare trousers right. in Moonraker are the width <laughs> of the causeway. I mean, <laughs>
0: wasn't Jaws the villain? Yes, and right, Jaws was the villain. Uh, Richard, was, uh, shoot, I Kiel.
2: Richard kill. They yes. brought him back from the Spy Who Loved Me. Right. Yes, yes, he uh, was, the, uh, and he had a love interest. That's how ridiculous that film was. <laughs> That's how ridiculous that movie was. All right,
1: hey, let's uh, let's get right in. Uh, Steve, uh, first story that we're going to talk about today. Hard data now showing that Singapore is eclipsing Hong Kong and China. I think probably we kind of felt this and knew this uh, empirically, but give us, give us the details on what's happening with this.
0: Yes, well, the, the Global Private Capital Association, which which tracks uh, private capital investments, so private equity, venture capital, infrastructure, real estate, all types of capital, the data is clear mm-hmm. that Southeast Asia uh, overall India as well is eclipsing China when it comes to private capital investment. And this is where the money- This mon- is like FDI kind of stuff? No, this is when you know a private equity firm says, we're going to write a check for $200 million into a company like Gojack, or okay. we're going to write a, or, or GoTo now, or, or, or into a Grab, or into any of those hmm. um, types of privately held companies um, before they, they go public. And so the, the smart money- is that if you look long-term, the place to be is Southeast Asia with the headquarters being Singapore. And so for the first time ever, you not only saw what we call private capital exits, from Southeast Asia beating China. Hmm. Um, and you could attribute that to COVID zero and, hmm. and the inability to go and do deals in China because you can't get your money out yeah, because you can't yeah. go in. But it's not only the exits, it's the investments. And these investments have a five, 10-year time horizon. And people are saying the smart place to put money where you're going to make the most money, Southeast Asia, um, it's India, it's not China anymore. And that's why you're seeing... Singapore become the financial services hub
2: for Asia. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, I saw some of this this week. I went to an international school, and they have seen an influx of students from Hong Kong. So it's happening, Steve. But in real terms, putting on my proletarian hat for a second, as opposed to just the usual private capitalists and hedge funds, Let's talk about the trickle down, the ecosystems. How does this benefit Singapore in the long term?
0: Well, I mean, what you see happening, right, is that the new businesses that are, that, that, that need the money to grow, right, to grow and become the next unicorns and decacorns and, and really make a difference in people's lives, they get the funding now. And, and Singapore is leading the way for Web3 in the region. Now, I'm going to not ask Neil to explain what Web3 is. I'm going to ask Alden to explain yeah, what no, Web I was, was going to say, can someone
2: please explain Web3? Is that no, the new. No. Okay, Alden's coming that, on That's the uh, third Spider Man no movie. Right? Right
1: okay, that's the third Spider Man movie. Tell Web3 is. Web I have no idea it's what no. Web3
0: is. Oh, no, Web3 <laughs> is all these companies that are about decentralization <laughs> and, and blockchain. So when you have decentralized finance and you don't have to go through <laughs> the formal uh, banking system, or you have platforms where you can do all of your work. I on have one, one of different those platforms
2: things. on my phone. Wow. wow, there you go.
0: So, for example, in, in um, Singapore, uh, KuCoin. Kucoin received a hundred and fifty million dollar uh, investment. Um, private recently. investment. Private investment, because this is so. The private investment comes first, and then you lead to you know venture capital comes in, and then private equity comes in, and then you lead to 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 your IPOs. Mm-hmm. And so Singapore is seeing. So you when you know the money's here. So all of these new entrepreneurs are coming here, setting up shop. Creating new companies. And that's what's making Singapore such a dynamic place and so attractive uh, for people Alden's age and not our age to come
1: here and set up businesses. What is this? What is the perhaps unintended consequence yes. here uh, as we come in, at, you know, as Singapore gets more? Popular, we've already seen it happening in the real estate market, right? People are being literally priced out of the market on a lot of different levels, especially you know private condos and apartments and things like that. So, is the risk of hyperinflation or further inflation that what we've already seen? real because of the inflows I don't it's not necessarily inflation but it's it's, it's a simple law of supply and demand here right, right.
0: when you the, the the you only have so much supply and when you increase demand and you don't increase supply prices go up that's not inflation I mean that's just that's that's it's the economics 101 sure. that's you yeah. know, microeconomics and so you're seeing that now because you're not gonna I mean there's only so much housing especially when you get out of the, you know the HDBs and you have you know you have expat housing and you have so many expat coming in Especially money coming in from from mainland China, prices are skyrocketing and and there's not much that the government can do about that
2: well, they introduced um, some cooling measures recently uh,
0: yes, but it's i mean it's 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 going to be they're limited on mm. what they can do I mean you just have basic economics and and so there's limited cooling measures you can have on housing they can you know make employment passes put put higher amounts needed for people to come in but look you're going to be dealing with higher costs here, especially if you're looking at where where you know where the market is most limited: international schools, a perfect example. Housing for expatriates outside the HDB system—that is going to be more expensive. The restaurants where where expats go is going to—they're going to be more expensive. Flights are outrageous. Yeah, not I, just I mean, expats, a lot of
1: Singaporeans. Well, of course, yeah, yeah, No, I'm, I'm saying it, 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 it's a saying, lot of wealthy Singaporeans here who are you, doing the same stuff, right? Right.
0: No, exactly. Yeah, right. But i say saying yeah. that's it, it's the you're going to see you know on the higher end is where you're going to see the the greater price increases. Right. But like I'm going to Manila fourteen hundred dollars. I mean, I'm roasting. 60. I mean, this is the back <laughs> of the airplane. Yeah, yeah. And, Have you and, even seen row 60 before? before oh, <laughs> Not
1: since a DC 10. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. That,
0: that, but that's how, I mean, everything is... Yeah. is now, it'll, it'll balance itself out over time, but we're going to be living but with it, these though, higher prices.
2: Glenn makes a good point. I'm thinking of young Alden over here, who now knows about Web3. I'm seeing this... Daily on social media, this fear of I'm being priced out of my own market in the workplace. You know, will my son, daughter be able to get a job? Now, if we do have this influx of talent, fantastic, though, it might be are there socioeconomic consequences that singapore has to take into account
0: well no and singapore does and they and, and you and certainly in terms of employment i mean you have there, there are that is the easiest way uh, you can you can control the great demand and it's already done i mean they're very it's very it's difficult to get an employment pass here it becomes more difficult to get an employment pass they're not opening up the employment passes as much um, to meet the demand so the, that piece of it isn't the the challenge i think it's going to be it's going to be the the amount of wealth coming in and how you balance all that out. So you have, you know, it's a good problem to have. You'd much rather have this problem yeah. than than what Hong Kong's going through right now, Absolutely. which is the reverse. Yeah. So it's a good problem to have. Singapore's had this, you know, pre GFC. There was you, you start, you saw some of this. What did they do? More international schools got built. Right. Um, mm. They put more restrictions on expats. They gave advantages to those types of companies that worked with their Singapore employees um, to give them training. To, to give them international assignments. Mm. So, yeah, it, 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 Singapore is, has experience in this. I have no doubt that they're going to do it well. Mm. Um, but the data is showing that it is going to continue and that the money that's coming in here now is not a bet on what's going to happen for the next six to 12 months. It's, gonna, it's what's going to happen for the next five ten years and beyond. Wow. And people see that the future in
1: Southeast Asia with Singapore as the hub is very, very bright. Wow. Interesting. All right. We've got to move on to our next topic. And that is President Joe Biden has announced that he is going to pardon all Americans who have been convicted at the national level of possessing small amounts of marijuana. Now, this uh, it's going to impact about Six thousand five hundred people uh, these are federal convictions, and of course, there are other state convictions where there are many more. Uh, this is a, an interesting move, especially moving into the election cycle uh, and Tell us about that Steve. well, you have good policy and
0: good politics intersecting right here. I mean, at first, the president has said no one should be in jail solely for the use of possession of marijuana, um, and that arrests that, uh, and jail sentences for conduct that is legal in many states um, has upended lives at the federal level. And so what this pardon is going to do, it's not. Like, there's not that many people who are now in jail who are going to be released. Mm. But what it does means it clears your record. So there are a lot of people who have a record, you know, a conviction, a federal, for sim- a federal conviction, Finance. simple for possession, very tough to get a job, mm-hmm. tough to get credit tough to get housing and this eliminates that from them so this will do a lot of good for people who have already you know paid their price to society the other thing is that this recognizes the racial inequality mm. that exists in the united states black people white people smoke marijuana at about the same rates but Black people are three times more likely to be convicted of the crime of possession than our white people. Hmm. And so this addresses that racial imbalance that we have in
1: the criminal justice system. Well, and I think the changing more is, you know, and and notion in the U.S. with so many states legalizing recreational marijuana use that people are just feeling like in the U.S. it's just not that big of a, a crime, let's put it that way, anymore. So it shouldn't be a crime at all, right, to have simple possession. And, th- and that's what this
0: gets to. But at the federal level, and as Glenn, you mentioned, most people who are in jail or have have, have convictions for this are at the state level. They've been arrested under state law. Um, this is only people who've been arrested under federal law, which would, would cover the District of Columbia as well. But what this does is it sets the stage for the federal government to do more when it comes to... to decriminalizing marijuana. Right now, marijuana is treated under federal law more strictly than LSD and fentanyl. I mean, that's ridiculous. Wow. Wow. And so he, the president, through this executive order, has ordered the Department of Health and Human Services and the attorney general to take a look at that. And that <laughs> will then make – so when you change that, which is the follow-on, then you can maybe have more research on medical marijuana. What does this mean? How much can this help people? What do you do at the federal level? Yeah. So it, it's a start, and this is going to be very popular – as well with core voters of the Democratic Party too. So it's good
2: politics and good policy. Well, that was going to be my question. Why now? Midterms are coming up. Is there any potential fallback for him? Would there be, I don't know, moderates or, you know, center voters who might not like this policy? Is there any negativity to this? Any well, fallbacks?
0: Uh, sure. I mean, the Republicans are are, are have ripped it. They, you know, one senator from Arkansas said this is a desperate distraction. <laughs> you know, we're in and just to read his quote. We're in the midst of a crime wave. We're on the brink of a recession. And Joe Biden is giving a blanket pardon to drug offenders. And so, yeah, of course, the Republicans. are are going to attack him on this. Mm. Um, But again, I'll put on my political hat, what the Democrats need to do, they need to get young people out to vote. They need to get uh, their core voters, which includes black voters, especially black young men, out to vote. And if this gives them to say, hey, they understand they're addressing my concerns. They are doing what they should be doing in government. Maybe it will get them to vote. And so, sure, could an election be uh, a coming campaign, an election be an action-forcing event for government to take action? Of course, that happens all the time. Um, So it isn't a surprise it's happening now, but that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do.
1: That's Mm -hmm. hard, though, because those those, uh, demographics that you just mentioned are traditionally not high-voting demographics, right? I saw what you did there. What's that? Not high voting demographic. Not hot. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I don't know. Or maybe they will be. I don't know. Yeah. So I, um, so which, which
2: was my but point. But not strong voters. <laughs> yeah, not strong right. voter demographics. That was demographics, kind of right? my point. I, I'm not sure how much difference it will make at the ballot box. In this midterm election, which is going to go down to the
0: wire in so many races, literally a hundred votes okay. could swing a Senate seat. Uh, you know, a, a House seat. A thousand votes can can swing a Senate seat. And so, if this brings out a couple thousand people, it may it may mm, make a difference. And so, you know, it could. I guess I, to give the last word to Stephen Colbert, who, who said, um, you know, he he sees this as the real Green New Deal.
2: So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right.
1: Let's <laughs> move on. Uh, OPEC is uh, cutting oil output, right? And this is sending oil markets, obviously very concerning for people uh, across the world. First of all, What what have they said they're going to do, and what would the likely impact be, and and can we track what impact might come to us in Singapore?
0: Well, I mean, there's the the, again we we talk about you know policy and politics. I mean, here you've got economics and and politics um, working at the same time as well. So OPEC Plus, so this includes a a lot of the oil producing nations, Saudi Arabia, but then also Russia is involved in this decision as well. They've decided to cut production by two million barrels a day. Um, And the reason they're doing this, I mean, there could be two reasons. One reason is that oil prices have fallen from about $120 a barrel down to $80 a barrel, and Saudi Arabia... And you know, and other oil-producing countries need this money. Um, they need the money, um, and they—if so—if they cut production, you raise prices, and then this helps helps them. So that's one reason the economics. The Saudis say we don't care what the politics are. We don't, or maybe they do. Mm. You know, this is going to hurt the EU. This is going to help. Putin, Mm. this is going to hurt Biden and the Democrats. And we're doing this in, in terms of Biden and the Democrats. This is hurting because we have the midterms coming up. And so now you have... You know, right before the midterms. And one of the the, the big debate in, in, the, in the U.S. right now is which, are, which way are people going to vote? Are they going to vote on their pocketbook or are they going to vote right. on abortion um, or, or climate change or gun control? And if they're, if they're worried about the economy and they're worried about inflation and this move could, and this would hold true in Singapore, in the U.S., it's expected this could add another 30 cents uh, per gallon. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And so if this yeah. adds 30 cents per gallon in the U.S., gas prices go up. Right as you head into a vote, it could swing the vote to the rush uh, to the Russians. It could it could swing the <laughs> vote to the Republicans. Could do that too, <laughs> right? Which is and and so yeah. y- it is a real real political issue in the U.S. Uh, you could question: Are the Saudis doing this? And. Uh, To help Russia? Are they doing this to thumb their nose at Biden? Are they doing this to for their own economic benefit? Or maybe all of the above?
2: And Mm. how does it help though? Because I mean from Russia's standpoint, the whole purpose of this was to, you know, try to reduce Russia's income that they used to sustain the war in Ukraine. So how does this help the war or not help the war in Ukraine? How does this help European fuel prices or even Singapore? I mean Singapore, I don't know if there's a direct knock on effect for Singapore, but fuel prices are rising here, energy costs are going up here. Quite rapidly, there were considerable negative knock-on effects here. Well the, the, well, the Russians can't
0: sell right now to the you know to the EU, um, and so what they're having to do is sell to China and others at a reduced price. Um, mm. And so this is going to raise the amount of money Putin can sell his energy for, yep. because it's going to raise the price of, of energy everywhere. So this helps. Russia. Um, it certainly hurts the EU because now it's going to, as we head into winter, right, in in, in, in Europe, this is really going to hurt them as they're trying to help yep. Ukraine and with their boycotts of Russia. So this has huge implications for the EU when it comes, uh, it has huge implications for Ukraine. It helps Russia. It could be hurting the, the U.S. from the Democrats. And the Democrats in the, U- in the Congress are livid. And they're saying, well, let's, we got to retake a look at our relation with Saudi Arabia and um, what are we doing when we're giving them all of this defense aid? Right. What are we yeah. doing when we have troops in, the, in Saudi Arabia to help them vis-a-vis Iran? And now they're, going, they're, they're doing this to us right before an election. Um, so there's yeah. a lot of it's geopolitics. A, I mean, it's a clear
1: in slap in the face yeah. to the Biden administration. Has the Biden administration done something recently to deserve this? Well, I mean, the Saudis, I mean, well,
0: you could I mean, you could say that the 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 Biden administration has been very cool towards Saudi Arabia. And then you say had that that famous fist bump, of course, between President Biden and MBS when he went to Saudi Arabia uh, for the first time. That was a bad thing. Well, I mean, that was trying to be a reset of the of the U.S. Saudi relationship because. Look, Donald Trump really didn't care about human rights when it came to the relationship with Saudi Arabia, and you can argue that previous presidents didn't either. That it was oil dictated yeah. uh, and energy well, dictated
1: most the relationship. Has, most everybody can agree on that. The Biden administration <laughs> has gone the
0: other way, and yeah. is, especially with the you know the the murder of Khashoggi and and the pre- the presumption that that you know the the leaders of Saudi Arabia and MBS in particular either ordered it, certainly knew about it, didn't try and stop it, haven't taken responsibility for it at the leadership level level. Um, And so that has been a huge issue for an intention in the US Saudi relationship. Um, And so you could see the Saudis saying, well, maybe we need to keep better relations with China, with Russia, Uh, build relations with Iran. It's a
1: not not very subtle reminder, not very subtle message. Let's put it that way, right? And
2: and just briefly, Uh, what impact does this have on the Ukraine war? Because we've seen Tremendous gains from Ukraine in recent days. Um, Russians falling away, just abandoning in their strongholds. Will this turn the tide, or is it? Are we too much in Ukraine's favour now? Well, it depends on
0: will will you know will Putin continue to just throw you know hundreds of thousands of Russians into this, continue to lose, but but keep the battle going, and then you get into winter, and then yep. will the will the people of the EU say, I'm willing to. Be cold. I am willing to pay much more for energy for Ukraine. Or is this going to put some fissures in in the Mm -hmm. EU stance towards towards the Ukraine and and push – Zelensky right. towards a settlement. So yeah, this is certainly what part of Putin's strategy. Is Which is getting happening to the now, winter. you know.
2: By the way, uh, UK is already pondering energy uh, restrictions and blackouts over the winter, of up course. to three, four hours a day. To. They're mm-hmm. contemplating it already. We're heading into the knock-on the effects are huge.
1: Yep, heading into the heavy fuel use uh, system in uh, in in Europe. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our last story quickly. We just got a couple minutes to talk about it. Airbnb. Uh, so we just had Hurricane Ian in in uh, Florida. We know that and tragedy uh, there deaths many uh, do- dozens and uh, deaths and and billions, tens of billions of dollars of, of damage. But some people who rented Airbnb uh, properties there are finding out that um, that Airbnb is not covering, any of the losses that they suffered renting those places um, under their standard weather, uh, 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 extenuating circumstances, I think policy is what they call it. Now, this is not only for Airbnb, but uh, VRBO and some of the other ones have similar policies. The reason I think this story is interesting is because many of us here in Singapore rent those properties when we travel abroad. And now with climate change happening at the rate that it's happening, are we all at risk of potentially finding ourselves on the wrong side of some kind of refund or satisfaction if we run into a, a weather-related event.
0: Look, if you are in Singapore and you are using Airbnb, you better know what the extenuating circumstances policy that Airbnb has because it explicitly covers Asia as well. So basically Airbnb says, look, there are some things that are pretty obvious. You can have a hurricane in Florida. You can exactly. have weather events in across Southeast Asia, South Asia. And if you are going to rent during these periods and you get hit with a cyclone, you get hit with flooding, you get hit with hurricane, you're not getting your money back from Airbnb. That is not what we're going to allow you to do. And so, for example, there are dozens of weather events and natural conditions and diseases listed on Airbnb's website. It says if you are going to Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan, Japan, Philippines, or Vietnam, May through September, and a cyclone comes through or other weather comes through, and you can't go, you lost all your money from Airbnb, that's your responsibility, not the host's responsibility. Mm. Um, If you're going to be, you know, going to India or Myanmar, Sri Lanka, Thailand, May through June, October through November, hey, it's rainy season there. You're out of luck if you can't go because er something gets flooded. So Airbnb says, you want to buy travel insurance? Buy travel insurance. We're not an
1: insurance company.
0: Although it, you read the website, it kind of seems that they do give some cancellation. so you really need to go read that fine print. Well,
1: and travel policies as well, you know, this uh, sort of act of God uh, yeah. uh, exclusions is, yeah. in there, too. You might be out of luck with a traditional travel policy, too. I one, mean, for one me, and then we yeah, gotta go.
2: Airbnb, I, I, my sympathy is with them. I mean, are we going to see now? This is going to be the norm now, Steve. Less insurance available for climate-related matters. If you're going to go to Florida during hurricane season, I'm not sure how much sympathy, We expected these companies to have. Mm -hmm. Or or
0: Thailand in in October and November. And so they say, you want insurance? You know, get your third-party insurance on your own. We're not that type of insurance company. These are obvious risks. You should know them. Um, I don't think most people do. I don't think people say, you know, uh, some hurricane wipes out the condo where I'm going. The condo doesn't even exist. Oh, but by the way, you're not getting your money back.
1: Interesting. All right, Steve. As always, thank you very much. We look forward to talking to you next week. Hey,
0: and shout out Ava Ho. I'm wearing her, her new Her new T-shirt that we got at the uh, Ukraine event. Fantastic.
1: Very good. Thank you, Steve. Steve Oaken, International News Review. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download
0: our
2: audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.